0: Welcome to the Telehealth Heroes Podcast. On today's episode, we got Dr. Sprague Connors, Gina, as I like to call her, because she used to work for DocsMe several years ago. Um, and so, Gina, it's great to have you back. Thank you for joining me on this podcast today.
1: Thank you for having me. Good to see you. It's been a while.
0: Yes. So, for the audience, Gina worked for us while she was in her graduate school and residency becoming a clinical psychologist from
1: 2016 to
0: 2019. Yeah. Yep. Great. So that was before the COVID craziness, and she's been a diehard telehealth advocate. Um, and so it's great to be talking to Gina again, especially after all these years with the COVID. How COVID changed everything. Um, so, so Gina, you're a clinical psychologist. You specialize in telemental health, and and you did your dissertation work on telemental health in rural communities before it was cool. What is Mm -hmm. it that, what got you into telemental health and what drew you to this field?
1: Great question. Um, I grew up in a rural area. I grew up in Wisconsin, um, the Midwest. I also um, went to a polytechnic university. Um, Before I went to school, before I went to college, I actually did video conferencing for AP courses. Mm. And so I got to get the opportunity to work with other students in other communities through video conferencing who had professors that could be teaching these AP courses in preparation for college. I went to a school, um, UW-Stout, that is a laptop program that integrated technology into the curriculum and studied psychology there. I also um, got the opportunity to, to be in a rural area in my undergraduate. Menominee, Wisconsin is not that big of an area. Yeah. And as a result, I got to work at a really cool nonprofit called Lutheran Social Services and do a lot of um, community mental health work in people's homes, I'm um, really supporting people who had limited resources, supporting people who needed kind of 24 hour mental health support. And so I, I got a firsthand experience um, from undergraduate of what does it look like to be somebody who is struggling with mental health conditions or perhaps family members who just really don't know how to support or who to turn to. Um, so I feel really grateful. And that kind of springboarded my career into mental health. I went on to get a master's degree in counseling and clinical psychology and later on a doctorate um, where I really chose my dissertation topic to integrate both of these um, pieces um, in terms of rural and uh, technology integration.
0: Gotcha. That, no, that's fantastic. So you certainly see a lot of value in using telehealth for rural care. What are some of the biggest benefits that you see patients receive and, and what do you hear from patients in these rural communities who are able to receive these services through mental health or telemedicine?
1: Well, I think one of the things that you have to look at is really looking at the culture mm-hmm. in rural communities. Oftentimes people really do know each other. We're talking about intergenerational families. We're talking about um, families that, or schools that are very small, communities that are very small. And so sometimes one of the biggest benefits is, you know, nobody knows that I'm going into the mental health clinic in town, you know, because I'm doing this from my home. So there's a lot of privacy. Um, Also too, if you are doing this work in telehealth, there is less of an opportunity for multiple relationships if you are not actually residing in that area. Um, I think too, one of the coolest parts is being able to provide really specialty care. Sometimes um, the opportunities for clinicians who have Um, specialty training in certain types of treatment modalities or treatment approaches, and sometimes that is not accessible. Um, But fortunately, with telehealth, we can have people from all over really providing quality care um, and also supporting systems that are just really overburdened, Um, you know, really being able to retain Quality providers really being able to be fully staffed ever. Um, so thinking about all of these different things that impact somebody who's just living in a rural area and just looking to take care of their well-being.
0: So it's really people without tele mental health or access to these specialists by mental health, they might not be able to receive it. Just that's the way it, it's set up up there. But by having telehealth, you have greater access to these these experts.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And being collaborative. I think there's always a really great approach um, to collaborate with, you know, local providers and being able to get a second opinion. Um, I think sometimes that puts people at ease to be able to have, you know, multiple ways to kind of get to an answer get to a diagnosis or really understand, you know, symptoms and really looking at the whole um, person and looking at all of the different pieces in history.
0: So it, it sounds like uh, telemedicine, telehealth provides value to a lot of uh, patients in rural areas, uh, but we know that it's not wide, completely widely accepted by all providers. In your research and in, in your experience, what are some of the biggest reasons why providers, clinicians, therapists are resistant to making full use of uh, telehealth?
1: I think there's a couple of different things that we have to really look at from different vantage points. One of them being one of our responsibilities as healthcare providers is to really help people to be safe. Um, And what I mean by that is sometimes we're dealing with people who are in a crisis, you know, they're a danger um, maybe to themselves or to somebody else. Um, for instance, having suicidal ideations or homicidal ideations. And so I think that's a huge piece of this. Is like, how do I support my patient if they're going through a crisis? And, you know, one of the wonderful things that has actually come into play here in the last year is 988. It started in July of 2022, which has been a huge piece to needing that additional support. People can now call 988 and they can reach... Um, somebody to help them in a mental health crisis. And that's for everybody Um, versus, you know, we used to have 911 and oftentimes those mental health crises would go through there. But at times using that way, can sometimes escalate a situation. Um, And some communities don't really have a crisis mental health team. Um, Where I'm located in Eugene, Oregon, we have a great one, it's called CAHOOTS. And they actually have mental health crisis staff members that drive around, they will pick patients up and get them to an inpatient unit. But not every community has something like that. Um, So really looking at those different pieces and how can we support, and I really do think we need um, more federal support and state support to integrate these crisis teams. Because 988 is a great resource, but again, oftentimes people um, maybe don't know about it. You know, it's still pretty new. Sometimes I, I meet a new patient and they're not familiar with it. And so we need multiple ways to get people connected with that type of care. I think another one, um, just two, is like technology can be difficult, you know, an update needing to be navigated or an application not working. And so that can be a real barrier for both the provider and the patient. In terms of really being able to have a good quality session, if you're spending, you know, time trying to troubleshoot an issue, or if you know the patient is really struggling, um, or the providers having difficulty maybe in their location with high-speed internet, you know, these things can really kind of change the whole experience of going in for a therapy session or a mental health treatment approach like um, group therapy or couples therapy or family therapy. Mm-hmm.
0: In in your time as a as a provider, what are some of the uh, what are some personal experiences you've had where you've seen wow telehealth has really impacted this person and, and really helped where they might not have otherwise been able to be helped?
1: Yeah, so one of the things that I have found it to be really um impactful for me is seeing, you know, people who work, um, maybe they travel a lot. Um, And it's taking a real toll on like a marriage or a partnership. And so telehealth really allows for this opportunity to um, engage in therapy with a partner or do some of the interventions together. Um, The other thing is, you know, sometimes some of these specialty treatments related to sleep or um, trauma related disorders or, you know, severe mental illness, sometimes people really don't. feel like they can get into the clinic. You know, sometimes rural places really do have transportation, you know, barriers in terms of like Uber being accessible or a bus or, you know, maybe it's inclement. And so it, you know, great distances to providers or different areas of the country that just get really difficult weather. Um, So it's hard to get in in person. And so to be able to get on a video in the comfort of your own home and your own space and feel safe, this is a really a great approach.
0: Now, your research while you're doing your doctorate was on telemental health. Can you talk a little bit about that research and what you learned?
1: Yeah, so it was really cool. I had so many great opportunities to speak at different conferences. Um, I, you know, got an opportunity to, you know, connect with you. I actually um, how I connected with Doxyme was through a professor um, who uses utilizes. Um DoxyMe, the Ronald McDonald house. And he was like, Hey, have you ever heard of Doxy And then I ended up filling out that info. Um, page and ended up connecting with you. And that's kind of how our journey began. Um, but some of the other things in terms of like my research and what we, what I ended up doing for my dissertation project, I um, presented um, at a rural conference, actually at UW-Stout um, for drug and alcohol abuse and connected with other clinicians, teaching them a little bit about some of the different interventions that can be done through telehealth. Um, You know, my dissertation chair was really clear when I defended. Um, He said, you know, you did a really amazing job of doing a thorough overview of telehealth. I really wanted to look at the ethical implications. I wanted to look at both the strengths and the limitations in telehealth, as well as rural communities. And then I did a broad overview of different telehealth interventions, everything from pediatric care, talking about like emergency care. You know, there's a lot of data and I, heard um, some of your other guests on the podcast talk about this, but the cost, um, the reduction of cost for people to really get good quality care um, and at a fraction of what it used to cost um, is really impactful for um, families and for children to get the interventions that they need for mental health. Um, One of my most favorite interventions for telehealth is actually um, when we're talking about um, applied behavioral analysis for autism spectrum disorders. There's been some really great research on that, on supporting families, supporting children, um, clinicians being able to really see what's going on in the home, and support families in utilizing the interventions that they're working with the patient or the child. Um, I think that's an amazing modality. You know, some of the other ones that we really, you know, thinking about our opportunities for connection, groups. Um, I think groups are really great, especially if you can connect people from varying places um, who maybe have a commonality. Maybe it's grief or maybe it's, you know, a different um, type of disorder that they're just managing symptoms and it's really, really challenging. Um, You know, and I think, too, we're seeing more and more data to highlight, like, can we compare in-person intervention to telehealth? And, you know, telehealth is right up there with in-person interventions. And so, you know, I definitely think COVID springboarded everything, but it's not going away. And um, I think it's really beneficial to us to be well-rounded as mental health providers and thinking about, is this a great modality? Can I support my patient and still um, help them, you know, complete their goals and and meet where they want to be? So you did
0: your your doctorate research on tele-mental health before COVID. If you were Mm -hmm. to do that same work today, after Mm -hmm. COVID, how would it look different?
1: Oh, I think... um, I think one of the biggest ones is, you know, in the research and both when I presented at various conferences, I saw, you know, people really talking about like a pushback and a lot of struggle with it. But like COVID required us to evolve, it required us to rise. It required us to really engage people because people were in dire places. People were losing family members. People were struggling with, you know, the changes that impact on their jobs and finances. And, um, you know, I think we can't lose sight of that. And um, some of that still really does apply today. And I think it really, we have to think about this as a tool, an extension of our, um, tools that we learned in graduate school, tools we learned in, you know, supervision, tools we learn in consultation and through our continuing education. Um, I really think that we are going to be kind of working with a deficit if we're not integrating this in some thoughtful way.
0: Mm-hmm. Gotcha. What does the, the future of telehealth look like?
1: I think we're going to see more integration of things like AI, I don't know if you've looked into any of that, but there's some really interesting tools there in terms of supporting um, people in doing the care that they're providing. Um, I think, too, we're going to see more smart uh, phone devices. I think it's really cool, too, in, in terms of my dissertation, I talk about some of the smart home devices. You know, we're seeing that more and more, but that can help people really age. In their home, you know, staying at home and not having to go and get as many um, supportive pieces because technology is just going to really support them in the space that they're in. Um, I also think, too, we're going to be evaluating, like, where is this not um, a good idea? You know, looking at some of those more nuanced in more and more researchers going to highlight, like, this is a great option, or maybe this hybrid approach is a great option. Or, you know, just really looking at some of these nuances that we didn't really see um, previously um, with each type of disorder, each type of intervention.
0: hmm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. What are some of the barriers that we have to figure out in order to get to that ideal future state that you envision? What I mean, I mean, a lot of people use telehealth now, but what are some of the challenges you say? You know, we still got to address this before we also get to that ideal state.
1: Yeah. So I think the biggest one is really getting federal support. Or, you know, we think back, um, I'm going to date us a little bit in terms of like legislation, but thinking about the Rural Electrification Act of 19, I think it was 35, where everybody was able to have a telephone, telephone access. We need that for high-speed internet. We need that to be a high-priority item. Um, We also need to think about like access to smartphone devices, iPads, iPhones. Like we look at the data um, and we do see that more and more families have access to that, but these devices are really expensive. Um, so how do we use some of the resources within the community to be able to create spaces where people could potentially utilize a computer and a device to engage in um, their health care? And so whether that's going into a clinic, whether that's going into a private space, um, I think COVID was a huge push in terms of like people working more from home. So thinking about what are some of these spaces that used to be offices that aren't Mm -hmm. used as often? Could they be kind of turned over into that piece um, in terms of telehealth? Um, And then I definitely think, you know, we have to think about, You know, how do we support this boom of telehealth? I think there are some concerns out there. I hear it um, in the field of psychology. I hear it with other colleagues um, who are counselors or who are social workers. You know, some of these companies, these large growing telehealth companies that are expanding with many, many providers, they're facing, you know, some critiques about licensure and expectations Mm -hmm. and really making sure. We're following guidelines. And I think we're going to have to really create a standard for some of those larger organizations that just really boomed over the pandemic because I've been hearing about them um, in varying degrees through ethical considerations. And, you know, we want to be doing no harm, we want to be supporting people's well being. Um, and we need to be doing that in a thoughtful way and we need to evaluate where um, there's being errors made.
0: Do you see the mental health industry moving towards these larger centralized organizations that have a bunch of providers that manage patients through their uh, technology, or do you see it continuing to stay more the independent provider that they just use technology with their own patients?
1: I think it's gonna be both. And I think it can be both, you know, when we think about um, other fields. Think about the tech field. Mm-hmm. Think about um, the transportation field in terms of airlines. Like, you know, there are smaller airlines, there are larger airlines. Like. We have to think about this and there's room for everybody if we're doing good quality care. Um, frankly, that's all that matters to me. Um, and I hope that you know we, we make room for everybody. And I've heard other speakers on um, Telehealth Heroes talk about that idea that like, there's room for people in private practice, there's room for larger organizations. And in fact, I think it would behoove us to work collaboratively. Because it is our community, it is our country, it is our world. Um, we need to think about that from a human perspective.
0: You know, the need for mental health providers outpaces the supply to address it, mm-hmm. and so in such an environment, whoever's doing the job will be busy. And so, I think because of that, both will exist, can and will exist, and and you know. For some people, having that one on one personal connection with their own provider is what they need for other people, going through some technology process a big machine is what they need and I think having those options both options available uh does make sense and and at the end of the day, it's are the patients getting the treatment that they need, and mm-hmm. uh, is it working? Telehealth is there to make it more scalable, make it easier to access uh and uh if we can help contribute to the, the mental health uh, gap that we have in this country, then, then great. So uh, so Gina, you have a mule. And, yes, and, I do. And so tell us a little bit about the mule and how you incorporate that into your, uh, your mental health work that you do.
1: Oh, very cool. I'm so glad you're asking me about this. So I've got Cecil. He is a five-year-old quarter horse cross. Um, he's a dapple rose gray. Um, I'm going to be doing some equine assisted therapy. I'm actually in my barn right now. I know it might not look like that, but my office is in my barn. Um, So he will be residing behind me. um, And actually, probably the next week, that's the goal. I was busy doing some things over the holiday weekend, building fence. Um, But I'm hoping to integrate. I'm, I'm... going to be starting my own private practice and integrating equine assisted therapy. I have a lot of passions. I'm working with a local organization that does a lot of work with human trafficking victims and I'm going to be doing some pro bono work for them as well as really supporting some of the victims in terms of trauma treatment Um, and then incorporating my mule Cecil and he will eventually have a little friend here um, and I have some barn cats here to manage you know, the, the tall grass and the other little critters that hang around. Um, and I'm also, you know, really passionate about suicide bereavement. So mm-hmm. I'm looking to also work with some of our law enforcement and some other organizations. Um, I actually have been completing a certification through PATH International. They do a lot of work with integrating equines into treatment. Um, And so I did um, some additional work here in Oregon with a local um, farm that integrates mental health treatment. So that's what I'm gonna be doing with my private practice. Doing things like individual therapy, group therapy, and couples therapy, integrating equines and I'm Also integrating meditation into this space because I'm in a really beautiful spot here on a little five acres and um, it's going to be fun. And I'm going to be doing both telehealth and in-person care. So it's going to be collaborative. Um, and if you're looking to check it out, um, you know, I'll be, I'll be really integrating some of those pieces. I'm on Instagram, mule mind therapy. Um, so, you know, give a look, um, haven't been putting too much out there just because I've been super busy with so many different irons in the fire, but, um, it's going to be going here, um, in, in the coming months. So you'll be
0: riding the mule while you're on a video call with your patient. Is that how it's going to work?
1: No, no, no. And definitely, um, he, you know, they might hear him. I've been warning people they might hear him because he does bray pretty loud. Um, It'll be interesting to see how it works with him at the farm. He's being boarded right now. Um, and he bellows when he hears me walk into the barn. and he d- can't quite see me, but he can hear me or my vehicle yeah. and he'll, he will bray. So it'll be interesting, but, um, okay. no, nothing like that. And really the idea is that we're integrating in a thoughtful way. I'm putting together right now, a psychoeducation series and teaching people just some general mental health pieces, integrating equines. To kind of be an experiential um, activity and exercise and helping them to kind of integrate that into their life and their well being.
0: Well, great. Well, fantastic. Well, Gina, it was great to catch up with you today. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. And definitely good luck with your mule therapy. I'm going to call it that because I can't remember everything else.
1: <laughs> mule minds.
0: Mule, mule minds. Mind. There we go.